We really appreciate Weston and his family. A long time ago, they served on staff here at Grace. Now he is faithfully serving with the Seattle Union Gospel Mission. And we're also grateful to partner with them. We've had a lot of people at different points say, I'd like to get more involved serving our brothers and sisters who are homeless in the community and in Auburn. You say, what's the next step? This is the next step. July 12th, this training, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to have opportunities. Then step into action, put love in action. So come to that. Aren't you grateful for the Seattle Union Gospel Mission? 90 years, 90 years here in the sound. We do not exist alone. We want to partner with and unite, and that's what we've done. Seattle Union Gospel Mission, I'm thankful for World Vision. There's more partnership coming. If that partnership grows, Young Life, Saturate the Sound is like 100 churches and ministries across the sound that are united together in God's love and God's truth to bring and reach God's love to every man, woman, and child in the sound. We cannot do it alone. Amen? Amen. Jesus' longest prayer in John 17 is that we'd be united, brothers and sisters, generations, nations, ethnicities, come together, drop the logos and egos, look beyond our church walls, come together as one body, and that's how we're going to love and reach the sound together. That's how it's going to happen. So we're excited about that. Uh, in this series, we're finishing it this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you brought a Bible or want to follow along on your phone, look at the scripture there. And this series has been a Jesus community, a Jesus community. And it's been a long book and a longer series. Someone asked me, is this the new name of the church? A Jesus community? That's how you know it's been a long series when they think, well, maybe it's just the name of the church now. Well, we're still Grace Community Church, but we are also a Jesus community. It's a both and, uh, but our name stays the same. Today, we are doing something that we do every month, and that's an opportunity for prayer and for healing. And this includes our elders, who are the leaders of our church, not on our paid staff, serving, volunteering. And from James chapter 5, at the end of this message, you can come forward, receive prayers for healing and restoration. God is moving, God answers prayers, and we're honoring God when we do this. God said his house will be a house of prayer for all nations, and there is no shame ever in coming forward for prayer. That's actually a wonderful thing to do. Uh, many people have come forward in the first service. God is answering those prayers, and we're going to continue to do that today and, and every month. That's what will be happening at the end of this message. Let's uh, pray, and as we do this message, Hungry to Grow. Father, search our hearts, and Lord, where there's complacency, where there's selfishness, pride, or sin, we pray that you would remove it so that we could grow in our relationship with you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are our good shepherd, and today we walk by faith, not by sight. God, we want to take steps forward with you, and we pray it would be your power, it would be your truth, it would be your peace. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. How much do you want to grow? Let me ask you again. How much do you really want to grow? That's at the crux of this letter. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, helping them, building them up in the faith. And sometimes we're just not sure how much the Corinthians want to grow. It's a very clear decision to decide to grow. I want to encourage you to be a lifelong learner. Prioritize your growth, that self-development, that closeness with God, because as you grow in your relationship with God, it will overflow into every part of your life. And sometimes in the busyness and the needs and the demands and so many people around, you might skip over that personal growth. You might not take the step forward with God. Paul has journeyed with the Corinthians for years. This includes visits, 
This includes time together in person, writing letters to them, praying for them. He has invested in his life for years in these relationships. And it's a chance for us to think about who are we investing in? Who, for the last couple years, have you prayed over, cared for, encouraged, served, helped build them up in the faith? Who are you really helping to grow in their relationship with God? Who are the people? For Paul, it's specific people. It's a church family, and he's really helping them to grow. And I believe he's growing so much in this letter, in this book. And you will grow the most when you invest the most. When you're investing and serving in your church family and in relationships, that's when you're going to grow the most. You won't grow as much if you're not investing as much. Paul is serving and growing, and the people are growing. It's not linear, because growth rarely is. It's a couple steps forward. It's a stumble. It's a repenting, coming back to God, growing again, learning some more. It's messy, because life is messy. Ministry is messy. And in this letter, it gets messy. But overall... What's happening is that God is building up his people and he will build up anyone who wants to grow, anyone who's teachable. Sometimes people say, I want to grow. And then I like to ask the question, how do you want to grow? Because if you came in today and they said, well, do you want to grow? Almost everyone's going to say, yes, like I'm here at church. This is not what people do at Sunday morning in the sound, right? I'm here. I want to grow. That's great. How do you want to grow? And a lot of people then just kind of say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hadn't thought about it. I guess I haven't identified it. I haven't honed in on any specific area. So here's three specific ways that we can grow from this passage. We're going to start with the first one. And this is the power of God. More of the power of God in our lives. That's one way we can grow. Chapter 13, verse 1. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power." Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Yielding to the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, by God's power, we will live. Not in our own strength, but by the Spirit, yielding to God. The more you yield to the Holy Spirit, the more power you're going to have in your life. The less you yield to the Holy Spirit, the less of God's power in your life. That will never change. The Corinthians know the power of sin. And we all know the power of sin. We've all sinned, fallen short of God's glory. There's been sin patterns in our life. There's been embarrassing sin. There's been habitual sin. There's been secret sin. The power of sin, it destroys, it deceives, it wants to master us. The Corinthians knew this. They grew up in this. Their culture is saturated with sin. It's everywhere. And they so often would return to sin. They know the power and addictions. They know what sin does. And the exact opposite is the power of God. I want to say the power of God is greater than the power of sin. In Jesus' name, any sin pattern can be broken today. We will make choices daily between the power of sin and the power of God. I remember canoeing and in the canoe seeing a river that diverged and went two different directions. 
Think about one direction, the power of sin that wants to pull us, and the other direction, the power of God that we can step into. Navigating life and navigating the canoe, there's a decision to make. And I could see that the one path was not good, but the current is moving in that direction. The path I want to go is against the current. And when you choose the power of God over the power of sin in our culture, you're going to be going against the current frequently. For the Corinthians, for them to choose the power of God, they would be going against the current in Corinth, but they're going to choose something greater than the power of sin. Has God been giving you an increased desire lately to step out of sin and live for God and experience his power? The Corinthians knew both, the power of sin and the power of God. The power of God breaks the patterns of the power of sin in our life. Here's another way that the power of God shows up. Now, Paul is going to have, call it intense fellowship. He's going to have some conversations with the Corinthians that aren't easy to have. Is God calling you to have any courageous conversations? It takes the power of God to step into courageous conversations. Paul is going to challenge them, sometimes confront them, and on a couple of occasions include church discipline because there's some that are destroying other people and they need to step out of the church. All of those take courage. Confrontation, challenging, really truthful, honest, hopefully humble, courageous conversations. That's where growth happens. Growth happens when there's accountability, there's courage, there's authenticity, there's depth. You know what's easy to do instead of courageous conversations? Passive-aggressive. The power of God will move you out of passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive is when you talk about people instead of talking with people. As classic passive-aggressive, that you have talked about the people and about that person, and you keep doing it again and again, and you keep listing off their long list of sins about them. No growth has happened in your life or their life, but you're passive-aggressive, you're whispering about other people's sins all the time, and no one's changing. Paul could have easily done that with the Corinthians. He could have easily been gossiping to the Ephesians, gossiping to the Galatians about the Corinthians and how they're backsliders. He could have been talking about people all the time, but he talks to people. Courageous conversations that lead to change and transformation and bring fruit. The power of God will break you out of passive aggressive so you can have those courageous conversations. That's what Paul's modeling us for here. The Corinthians weren't easy to love. And then the power of God will change your story and your identity. Corinthian, that name right there, means sexually immoral. <laughs> to Corinthianize in that culture meant to be sexually immoral. Imagine if that's your name. Oh, I'm writing to the sexually immoral. <laughs> What's your name? Hi, I'm sexually immoral. You're kind of like, this just doesn't sound right. It just doesn't have a good ring to it. But in the city, that was the norm. That's what it was known for, a place of sexual immorality and impurity. They were bombarded in that culture, and they were giving in. That was their history. But your past doesn't define you. Your past is not your identity. And you can break out of the patterns of this culture with the healing and restoration of Jesus, and now they still might be in Corinth, physically, but they're in Christ positionally. 
Now they have a new identity in Christ that is much more significant than where they live. My identity and your identity, it isn't my last name. It's not my job. It's not where I live. It's not my ethnicity. It's not my gifts and talents. That's not my identity. Those things are good, but that's not my identity. My core identity is that I'm in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And God gives new starts. And the past doesn't define you. The story's not over. Oh, Corinthians, your name might have been sexual immorality, but God has a destiny and a purpose that he's calling you for that's so much greater than that. That's the power of God right there into a new identity, into a new life, into a new story. You say, well, is there shame in my sin? God will remove the sin and the shame. This is a story from one of our international partners, Sydney Still. She serves at Bellevue College, and they were on a missions trip with other college students. On our missions trip over spring break, one of the students that partnered with us came to me sharing that she was having trouble on the trip. Let's call her Susie. She didn't feel like she could enter into the outreaches or talk with new people about Jesus because she was struggling with shame about something that had happened in her life. It was sin that had resurfaced, and she didn't know how to talk about it, and she had not shared it with others. It didn't feel right, she told me, for her to share with new people about Jesus when she faced the same sin struggle. Can you ever relate to that? Like, how do I serve people or talk about Jesus when I'm struggling with this sin and it's still there and, like, wrestling with all of that? Well, Sydney said we had a deep conversation about it together, and then we prayed. Her heart was in such a tender place, and she wanted to draw close to Jesus. As we prayed, she was able to invite Jesus to be Lord over her heart as she turned away from the sin. We declared her identity as a child of God over the shame, and she entered into the light, a space of love, being seen, forgiveness, and freedom. And the rest of the week, here's the turnaround. She boldly stepped out of her comfort zone to have conversations with strangers about Jesus and her faith. Her confidence was restored as she was able to rely on Jesus and not feel like she had to hide in shame anymore. Praise God for her willing heart to be vulnerable so she could have others partner with her as she sought out the Lord. The power of God in our lives to transform us. You say, what will the power of God do? It'll make you more like Jesus and it'll help you serve well. The power of God is in your life so that you can serve. Not just to build up your reputation or your resume. It's not so you get attention and applause. The power of God in your life, the purpose, is to change you to be more like Jesus and that you will serve more like Jesus. That's where God's spirit and God's power will take you every time. And the Corinthians weren't sure how much they wanted that. They were trying to sort through it and figure it out. The power of God is internal and personal. And then it's also collective and external. When the power of God starts and moves in your heart, and then together we experience that, this culture will be changed. We need the power of God today. So how does weakness fit in? Will we feel weak? All the time. Every day. Like a little bit weak? No, very weak. Uh, We're going to be aware of our weaknesses. This isn't a fake spiritual game where we just stick our chest out and act like we're super spiritual. No, this is real and authentic. And the truth is, we're all weak. We have weaknesses. And that's exactly where we need God's power. And our weaknesses become an open door for God's power. It says Jesus was crucified in weakness and then 
what happened? The resurrection happened. When you think about Jesus' life, this is the power of God. He washed feet. He spoke truth. He was persistent in prayer. He was crucified. And then the resurrection. What will the power of God look like in your life? You might be changing 10 diapers a day in the power of God. You, you might be waking up Monday morning not feeling too motivated, but the power of God kicks in. Courageous conversations, breaking out of sin, serving other people, meeting other people that the culture has overlooked. People that right now the culture says you're second rate. You go build them up in the power of God. There's no limits what can happen when you have God's power. What we want is God's power. What we don't want is the form of religion without God's power. This is what Jesus said before he ascended. Acts 1.8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When you have the Holy Spirit, you will have power. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have spiritual power. What does it look like without the Holy Spirit? It looks like the form of religion and no power. That's what it looks like. Who wants the form of religion and no power? That empty, wretched deal of religion and rituals and no life, no spirit, no power? No thank you. No thank you. So here's a vision. Growing in the power of God in our lives. To become like Jesus and serve like Jesus. And it leads to the second area, which is the truth of God. Take a look at verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things. When I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in use of my authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down. Aligning with God's truth. Paul writes this in verse 8. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Examine yourselves. Take an inventory. Now, on my dashboard in my car, there's different lights that pop on sometimes. Sometimes I ignore them. Sometimes I pay attention to them. Just depends. This one popped on this last week, and I'd never seen it before, and I didn't know what it meant. How many people have had this Come on before. All right, there's my people, well represented today. And how many people know what that means? That is, all right, you're in the know. It's a smart crowd. I gotta, gotta learn from you. Uh, I didn't know. So I could either pretend like it's not important or I could pull out the manual and humble myself and actually Google search on my phone is what I did. Sometimes you need to be in the know. What, what does that mean? I'll give you a hint. I just had my tires rotated before that came on. That means that the pressure in my tires was either too much or too little. My tires were either too inflated or too deflated. In life, do we ever get too inflated or too deflated? We sure do. Do you pay attention on the dashboard when you're too inflated, when someone tells you you're too deflated? The pressure of life, it's a factor for all of us. How are we going to go through that? The light went on to warn me and examine yourself spiritually. Ken Jocelyn says it this way, and this is his habit. He pays attention to five 
areas on his personal dashboard. These are five areas of his life, and it's true for all of us. He says the first and most important one is spiritually. How am I doing spiritually? The second one is relationally. And on a one to ten, how am I doing on these? Uh, The third one is vocationally. That could just be the work. Whether you get a paycheck or you're at home, wherever you're doing work, how am I doing in my work? And then the fourth is physically, how's my health? And then financially, how am I stewarding and making decisions financially? Watching those five every week, praying through those, and that could be your five or you might have a different dashboard. Here's the important part. And it's, uh, here's the one, uh, dokamai is the Greek word here, approved. Here's the key prayer. God, do you approve? Looking right now at my relationships, my walk with you, God, my physical habits, my finances, God, do you approve? Because if it doesn't align with your truth, God, I don't want it. And that's the prayer, to move into alignment with the truth of God. God, do you approve? I remember when I was living in the Midwest and there was a series it was coming from a church in California. And for Corinthians, they used the phrase first and second Californians instead of Corinthians. Because they thought there were some parallels between the people in California and the people in Corinth. And from the Midwest, I thought, oh, that's kind of clever. And I thought, yeah, all this in Corinth is going on in California. And it was easy for me to say them, but not me. And I'll tell you, looking around sometimes in the sound, it's easy to say them, but not me. I mean, less than 5% of the people in church right now in Auburn, oh, this is probably about them, but not me. The truth is this letter is for the church. It's for the church. And you can go to church, you can even have a mentor, but not be growing. Don't stick or settle for that rut right there. It's so popular today to just do my own thing, believe what I want, go where I want, say what I want, drift where I want, and well, that's just how I roll. That's easy to fall into that trap. And what will happen is spiritually, the passion and the zeal and the fervor, the flame will go out. How do I know that? Because we are designed to come together. Embers will go out, but you come together and there's a bonfire. And when you come together, you come together in the power of God and the truth of God and then watch what God will do. Truth is more than just principles. If you only like to get into this book for the principles, you're missing the most important part, which is the personal relationship. Jesus is the truth, so don't settle for just one part. It's the relationship first, the principle second. And when you do that and you say yes to Jesus, then in practice, in what you proclaim, it's going to be truth. And you're going to be lined up with the word because Jesus is always aligned with the truth. Now, when it comes to the truth, that's what changed John Gordon's life. John Gordon is someone who grew up in a Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, and realized Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And now John shares his faith in the marketplace with lots of people who don't know Jesus. John Gordon says it this way, in terms of standing for truth, he says, I take a stand for God because when I fell apart in my past, he carried me and picked me up so I could stand once again. You know, why do I stand for the truth? Because God picked me up so I could stand once again. I know I didn't do it alone, and I know everything I create is because of the creator. Uh, My mentor in seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, you watch this every time where people drift from Jesus and the word, it'll crumble and it'll crash. Marriages, when two people start to drift from the word, will crumble and crash. Churches, 
denominations, Bible colleges, and seminaries will crumble and crash the minute they start to undermine God's word because this is the truth. Don't let anyone pull you away from the word to be cool or popular or fit in or not have as much heat or opposition. Stick with the word in this culture so you can stand on truth. It takes courage. I'll tell you, a nation will crumble and crash if it keeps drifting from God's truth. May we return to Jesus, who is the truth. In Acts chapter 18, Paul had this moment. I think it was a key moment in his relationship with the Corinthians because these were not a group of people that were easy to love. And you might have some Corinthians, feels like, in your family or workplace, not easy to love. Neighbors, not easy to love. And this is, in terms of standing for the truth, in Acts chapter 18, this is what God spoke to Paul in that key moment. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. This is his first time in Corinth. Do not be afraid. God knows when we're in a culture that has a lot of opposition to truth, we kind of get afraid because we know there's going to be tension and opposition. We get intimidated, silenced, and afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul heard that, stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the truth, teaching them the word of God. That moment right there, can I encourage you to move the voices and the noise out of the way and to slow down so you can hear the good shepherd? I believe God calls specific people to specific places for specific seasons, just like he's doing here. Paul, Corinth, the next year and a half, don't leave There's been a lot of people during the pandemic who have left, followers of Jesus, who have left to go to Idaho, Texas, Arizona. I'm not holding anything against them. I pray they're listening to God, and God had a lot of people to move out of Seattle. God just wanted a lot of people to move. Um, I don't know all those dynamics, but I'm not responsible for all that. What I do know is that God has told many people to stay and stand in the truth. Because God's work in Seattle is not finished. And the only way it's going to move forward is if people stay and stand in the truth and stick together, trust Jesus, and it's going to be the power and truth of God in this place that will transform the sound. So important, Paul was listening to God so that he knew, stay and don't be silent. Is God telling you, don't panic, leave, but stay and don't be silent? The truth That's what's needed today. That's what sets people free. And it leads to the third area, which is the peace of God. Paul ends the second letter of the Corinthians. These are the last couple verses. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll get back to that in a minute. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He says, live in peace and the God of peace will be with you. What is the clarity that Paul gives regarding peace? First, he says, aim for perfection. If you're in this room and you're a perfectionist, don't read this and put a whole bunch of pressure on yourself. (laughs) Don't read this and think, see, now God said I have to be perfect too. That's not the application from this verse. This word, perfection, means restoration. 
It means aim for restoration. Continue to receive from the Lord that he may fully restore you to be like Jesus. It's not a self-help pressure deal. It's a receiving and the restoration that God wants to bring. You will have peace when you receive from the Lord in his restoration. The second one's a holy kiss. Please don't get confused about that. Please don't try to do that on your way out. Uh, That's not what we do here. Uh, They did it in Corinth. What did it mean in Corinth? It meant trust It meant affection. It meant closeness. Here in our culture, we shake a hand, maybe eye contact. When you shake someone's hand, if they're going to shake you in the hand and look you in the eye, you're you're kind of banking that you can trust them, that what they're telling you is true, that there's a connection, a closeness here. There's appreciation, some affection. That's what we would do in this culture. That's a good thing. Notice it went from just personal restoration to now relationship because your peace is linked to how you treat the people around you. How you treat the people in this room is linked to the peace that you have. And it goes beyond this room because Paul writes, all the saints send their greetings from Macedonia, so we look beyond our logos and egos or our denomination or our four walls, and now we look beyond the body of Christ and they're sending greetings and they're blessing and they're giving and they're praying. We realize there's one body, so it's personal. It's in the church family and it's broader in the regions coming together in peace, the fullness of God's peace and the fullness of the Trinity. The fullness of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the fullness of peace. And notice he says, Lord Jesus. He doesn't say that just because it sounds good and he said it before. He's affirming the deity of Christ because that's under attack. He does it at the beginning of the book and at the end, the Lord Jesus. And this is what he speaks over, this blessing. It's uh, the grace of Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you speak blessings like that over people during the week? You can. You should. Walking past, let's say your kids, thinking about your kids, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in this place. Your church family, when you walk in this room, may the grace of God and the grace of Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fullness of the Holy Spirit be for everyone in this place. Speaking blessings, there's words of life. God's given you authority. Those words don't just fall to the ground without power. No, you speak those blessings where you go. Paul is speaking blessings. Why? He's called to Corinth. One more letter, one more visit, one more prayer, one more way to serve. See, the Corinthians, he knows where that's where God wants them, but that's a difficult place. They are slow to grow. There's opposition in Corinth. There's sin that's obvious in Corinth. There's tests in Corinth. There's a test of commitment. There's a range of feelings that Paul goes through. But he is called to Corinth, and he's going to stay faithful to his calling. Will you stay faithful to your calling in your family, in your community, to bless the nations? Will you stay faithful to that calling? Paul holds on to a vision of what the people in Corinth can be long before they ever become that. Because God's spoken a vision. Are you holding on to the vision that God's spoken to you? The Corinthians don't even see the vision. They don't even see their full potential, but Paul sees their potential. You see potential in people. You see potential in the sound. God's spoken to you that this is going to happen. Will you hold on to that calling even before you see it happen? And hold on. Paul pours out his heart. He, this is the letter 
more than any other letter. It's vulnerable, it's personal, it's the heart. Does Paul teach for the mind? Absolutely. And here, Paul is transparent and lets people into his heart. Sometimes, especially coming out of seminary, I was just thinking ministry is about truth and principles and the word. And I'll tell you, I overemphasized the head and underemphasized the heart. And that's still kind of the way I'm bent. Maybe there's people in this room who overemphasize the heart and everything's feeling good, feeling good, heart, heart, heart. And it's like, you need some more truth with that. Well, we need both. Paul opens up his heart. He cries, he hurts, he weeps, he pleads, he's in pain. His heart is open and vulnerable. And I'll tell you, if you won't open your heart fully, God will not transform lives fully. It involves your heart. Ministry involves your heart. You can't just hide behind principles. It's your heart that has to get put out there. Relationship risk, sometimes crushed. He loves them. They don't love him. He teaches them. They don't respond. He hurts. It's his heart. Don't miss that in this letter. It's full of relationship and heart because God's ministry is always full of relationship and heart, and heart, and heart. Some people in this room are not taking their guard down and putting their heart on the line. Paul does, he does here. And there's an amazing thing that happens. This church grows. Say, well, how do you know what happens? We don't know the whole story. There's a little mystery. I'd love a third Corinthians. I'd love an update. I'd love, you know, to go back and get some pictures. But they take some steps forward. You know, before our kids go to bed at night, we do usually some prayer and some Bible, um, something to build them up, some food. But then there's something else I do with one of the kids that really likes to play catch. And uh, before I go to bed playing catch, before they go to bed, uh, from the bed to the door, we play catch and we count. And if we drop it, that ends the count. So we play catch and our record, you know, keeps climbing and it got up to about 20 50 felt pretty good. You know, then we got about 100 one night. Well, on Friday night, all glory to God, we got 223 just before bed. We were like, 223. And our kid wrote down 223. That number needs to get written down. And that sense of like connection and growth. Paul and the Corinthians, there was a lot of things that dropped along the way. But look what's happening in Corinth. Romans 15, 23 gives us, I believe, a glimpse into this. And this is what Paul writes. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, he's writing there from the Corinth region. He's writing after this and saying, since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I get to Spain. There's no longer any work right here right now for me. God is moving me on to Spain because the Corinthians are growing. They're honoring God. Let me ask you, before uh, we worship and the elders come up for prayer, uh, let me ask you, how do you want to grow? What resonates with you today? Is it the power of God, the truth of God, the peace of God? You know, all three are found in Jesus. All three are found in Jesus. You know, some of us are going to grow a lot and some of us aren't going to grow too much the next six months. You say, well, what's that going to come down to? What's that going to come down to? These two things, I believe. First of all, how much do you desire to grow? The Corinthians, sometimes they didn't desire to grow that much, and they didn't grow that much. 
Desire to grow. You have as much of God as you want in your life. How much do you desire to grow? Here's the second one that gets overlooked. How much time do you spend with people who are hungry to grow? How much time are you spending? The Corinthians have time with Paul, who's the hungriest to grow. And you know what? They get hungrier to grow because they're spending time with Paul. And who you spend time with is so important during the week. Your desire to grow, the time you spend with people who are hungry to grow, that's what will lead to growth because God will grow anyone who's teachable. He restores. This is a book of restoration for the Corinthians, restoration and healing. This is a time right now of restoration and healing. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward, and also I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as well. And if it's your first time here when this has ever happened, this is what's, how it's going to play out. We're going to worship like we do at church. There also is an opportunity to come forward. Like I say, there's no shame in coming forward. It's a celebration. To come forward and receive prayer. You just share the area you want prayer, and the elders will pray for you. They also have oil, because that's in James chapter 5, to anoint you, put a little oil on you. And all this is a way to honor God. Let's stand up right now. Let's stand up as we prepare to worship the Lord, this time of prayer. God's house, it's a house of prayer for all nations. God is a God who hears prayer and heals and restores. Father God, we pray for this time right now. We've heard your word. We've heard your heart. God, we're ready to respond, to sing you praises, Jesus. You are the same God who moved in Corinth, and you are the same God who moves in Auburn today. You are the same God, and there's no limits to what you're going to do. We come forward by faith. We're thankful for our elders right now. God, we thank you how you heal and restore. As we seek you together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.